Comics Podcast. I'm this week's host, Dixie Cochran, here with Eddie Webb. Hello. And unfortunately, not Matthew again. Uh, don't worry, folks. He's doing fine. Um, just, you know, sometimes we have to step away here and there. And especially with Matthew being overseas, it just sometimes works out this way. So you're getting another Dixie and Eddie show. Exactly. We, we miss Matthew, of course, but sometimes, yeah, there's just the way things, the chips fall, the way things fall into place. This is just how it goes. But that's fine. Yeah. What I did notice about last week's episode was that without Matthew to derail us about talking about a snake submarine movie for a full hour, <laughs> we actually got through our topic pretty well. So I'm wondering if we should reconsider this this hosting strategy. <laughs> I, I will say, uh, in, in Matthew's defense, I've had so many people come to me about the snake submarine episode. <laughs> yeah, um, as I think you pointed out on our Discord, like that's the nature of role-playing games, mm-hmm. is that they're highly improvised and you just have to roll with the punches. Yes. And so the fact that our podcast sometimes does that is really cool, I think. Yeah. And, I mean, it did come back around to a relevant topic. And also, um, since that show aired, um, I can confirm we are actually doing a tasty bit based on that. So, I mean, you know, actually a product came out of that. Yeah, it is literally in my inbox to edit, uh, which is very <laughs> fun. Um, but, yeah, so, like, I'm personally totally fine with the fact that we made somebody, you know, double overlapping in Costco. Uh, <laughs> who then called us all monsters on Twitter? Yes, um, because uh, like I listened back to that episode. I don't listen to all of our episodes, but every now and then there's one that I'm like, I had so much fun recording that. Mm-hmm. I want to like see how it came out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was laughing out loud listening to myself talk, which sounds narcissistic, but it's it's it's, not, it's honestly just a good sign that like it was legit compelling and interesting. Because if you could listen back to stuff that you said a week ago. <laughs> It's yeah. like, oh, it's still really good. And I, I was the one who edited it, and I had to keep pausing because I couldn't listen to it because I was laughing. So, I mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, we're a little self-indulgent sometimes. That's okay. That's 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 the nature of uh, this being our show. Right. Um, <laughs> it's like, it's, it's the Onyx Pathcast. It's about Onyx Path stuff, and it's by the three of us that work here. So, you know, we're allowed to do that sometimes. Although, I do always wonder what, like, Rich thinks. When it goes from one of like, you know, we have like these like interview episodes and deep dives into games and all this stuff. And then suddenly there's just one episode that's just a full tangent (laughs) where it's like we talk about killer bee movies. We talk about like spider movies and snake movies and lots and lots of Tom Bergeron (laughs) talk. It's just like, what? But I mean, I I think... uh we are a creative company, right? And one of the things that I love about working with Onyx Path specifically is the fact that within parameters, we are given a fair amount of leeway just right. in general. Um, it's one of those, as long as the work gets done, as long as it's good quality, as long as it is timely, you know, we, we have some room to, to play with things and try new things. Uh, and so I, I actually... I have always dug the fact that our podcast is like that. Um, I suspect if Rich wanted a more kind of clinical, corporate, sanitized podcast, he would have asked for that. But also, I've read his blog posts. So Rich also gets self-indulgent in the Monday Meeting blog occasionally. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look at the titles of every Monday Meeting blog. Like, there's a reason that whenever I do the blog, I often, like, spend way too much time thinking of the title. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, like, what would Rich write? (laughs) Because it's always incredibly punny. Right. It's it's always just some terrible pun or play on words, whatever. And I'm like, I don't know how you come up with those week after week, Rich. It's 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 a lot. And I mean, even like little little people behind the curtain, even in our Monday meeting, like it is mostly a serious meeting, right? We have we have talks about all the books we're working on. We go through processes. We talk about big picture stuff and little picture stuff, and you know, whatever. But sometimes we do have just random tangents about like what we did this past weekend. Mm Hmm. And that's okay. Or like some TV show that we watched. Uh, Mike Cheney likes to throw in, you know, really obscure movie references. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and also talk about the bad movies that he actually got to see in theaters that I uh, did not because I was not born yet. <laughs> Mike paid money to go see those movies. Yeah, yeah. Like, for instance, I've been watching MST3K, the like newer one recently, oh, cool. uh, just because it's fun. I've been watching it at night, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, usually I, I watch a little TV before bed on my own. And recently it's been like one movie per night. Cause they're about an hour and a half each. Um, and like, I watched a terrible movie called, I think star crash. Yes. Uh, that was uh, just a star Wars ripoff with, um, 
David Hasselhoff and Christopher Plummer, of all people, yeah. who I later found out did it just for a trip to Italy, which was great. Um, <laughs> the best reason ever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, but like, I, I, I was talking about that in the meeting just because, you know, we chat about random shit. Mm-hmm. And Mike was like, I said that in the theater. And I was like, did you? <laughs> and then every other bad movie that we mentioned for the like next five minutes, he was like, I think I saw that in the theater too. And I'm like, what? what? Did you just waste all your money on terrible movies when you were a kid? Yes. I mean, I'm, yeah. I mean, what else is there to waste your money on? Right. Exactly. I mean, it's like, that's part of the fun. Right. Um, so it ends. So, I mean, going back to the, the, the topic, it's like, I don't think self-indulgent is necessarily bad. It is bad when you don't recognize it as such. Yeah, yeah. We we fully know that if we do a digression episode, it's literally a digression episode, and we try to be upfront about it. Like, this episode contains very little Onyx Path content. <laughs> right. Like, this episode is mostly about We do try to get back to snakes. more meaningful content later, right? We don't, we don't, like, we don't want to, like continue to do those it's like no no we, we're not completely off the we, we brief off the rails now we're back on the road we're gonna do more quote yeah. on tropic conversation um so i mean but you know again it's uh, uh we're we're a group of friends a lot of ways i mean we're yeah. we're all colleagues not just three of us but like you know a lot of us in the company are, are also friends outside of work yeah honestly um, i think if we all live closer to each other we'd probably just hang out constantly but yeah we don't live closer to each other so right. we have to reserve that for conventions and things for the most part like there are a few freelancers that live near me like i see megan fitzgerald and rose bailey fairly regularly mm-hmm. uh i see some of our newer writers fairly regularly mm-hmm. uh who are, who are very cool but like i don't see you know danielle on a regular basis right or Eddie or Matthew. Mm-hmm. Clearly not Matthew. <laughs> yeah, right. Being being in England. Right. But I mean, it's you know, it's fun. And and, and at the end of the day, I mean, while we take this professionally, we you know, we take this very seriously. And, and that will actually lead to the topic. But at the end of the day, right. we're making games. And if we're not having fun on some level making games, we're probably doing something wrong. Yeah, yeah. I I would be uh upset if i found out that one of our freelancers was like this is never fun this is always work and i'm like you should have some fun with it right well a little bit of fun it it is also sometimes work and sometimes the work is is a necessary part of the fun but i mean it should be a balance it shouldn't be it can't be all fun because then the work is done it can't be all work because find something that that pays better and has more benefits well yeah like editing itself isn't fun like just the act of editing isn't like i am having a blast but I'd rather edit this than like medical journals, mm-hmm. you know. Like there's there's lines there, and I got, I got some edits back uh, just yesterday. Um, and and the editor made comments like, "This is a really good cliffhanger to this chapter," and you know, or like, yeah, "I really enjoyed this section." Um, so I mean, you can also just enjoy the reading of it, even though yeah, editing is hard work and, and it's, it's it can be tedious, but you still the actual material can itself be more enjoyable than you write like a medical text or something. Yeah. I, I thoroughly enjoy ed- editing fiction because mm-hmm. at some point you do just get engrossed in the story mm-hmm. and then your brain is like, Oh, typo, you know? And right. like, you like come out for a second and you fix it. And then you're like, story time. The story's so good. <laughs> um, uh, like I, I love editing fiction, but unfortunately I tend to assign that out to people because like, it's a good tester for people yeah. since there aren't mechanics in it. Um, so depending on the fiction and how much it relies on mechanics, like I, I tend to assign that out. So I, I haven't, I haven't read a lot of the, the novellas recently and that makes me sad, uh, because I really, really like editing novellas <laughs> and yeah. true story collections. Um, but yeah, so the nature of what we do is fun. Mm-hmm. I, I want to say two things up front before we get into the meat of the episode. Uh, one is that we do record about a week in advance usually. So even though at the time you're hearing this, I have been to PAX Unplugged. <laughs> Right. I don't know anything about it at this point. Uh, so I'll probably talk about it on next week's episode. Um, and also, I just want to point this out because I don't know if it's going to affect the conversation at all or if it already is. But this is the, I think, first time I've recorded the podcast after taking my Adderall. Oh, As wow. opposed to before. Um, so either I'm going to be really on topic or I'm just going to bounce around topics and be really intense about them. And you're well, the host. So this is going to be great. We'll figure this out. Uh, <laughs> I just... I just wanted them to be like kicking in by the time I get done with this and go back to work. So, you know, smart. it'll be a fun day. But, <laughs> but yeah, so today, Eddie and I want to talk a little bit about kind of a process thing, kind of a decision making thing, just mm-hmm. a little peek behind the curtain, a little behind the scenes stuff. 
because we enjoy doing that here. Yeah. Um, and what, what, one of the things that we get asked a lot, a lot, a lot, is what do we, like, how do we decide what goes on Kickstarter versus what goes straight to drive through RPG, what we do pre-orders for, um, just how, how we release what we release. Mm-hmm. Um, I know there are folks who are like, oh, why isn't, you know, X available as POD? And so, sometimes, they, like, often the answer is just that it's not long enough. Right. Um, really, really short bits on Garth RPG aren't bindable. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there are some things that just like aren't aren't doable, uh, which is why I think like the Monarchies of Mao Adventure Collection that I developed is one of mm-hmm. the smallest books that we can do. Yeah. Like it's 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 a pamphlet, practically, even though it's got, you know, 30,000 words of adventures in it. 30,000 words is not as much as you might think when it comes no. to page count. No, especially like on like larger pages. pages. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that, that's that's answer one. Um, but yeah, how how do we kind of talk about our Kickstarters? Not going into future ones, obviously, because right. we don't announce them until they're about to happen. But as far as like past Kickstarters over the past year, since we do one about every month and a half, generally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and we always have discussions about this in the meeting. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not like we just randomly pick a game and say like, oh, we'll, we'll, we'll do this one. Like, we, we, we plan these out strategically. Uh, and try not to stack like Chronicles and Chronicles Kickstarters or, you know, they came from when they came from. We try to space out our game lines. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, yeah, just like how, like, I know some folks were asking about Assassins for Trinity. Right. And why that went up just as POD as opposed to on Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. And so do you want to talk a little bit about the reasoning behind that? Yeah, so uh Kickstarter is an interesting beast. Um, so uh, there's a couple of things before we can even talk about Kickstarter proper. One is that if we do a Kickstarter and if it's a licensed book, we have to get the permission of the licensor in mm-hmm. order to even do the Kickstarter. Right. So um, that's all of our Chronicles, World, Exalted, I mean, Legend Lore. Yep. It's Pretty much everything that isn't Story Path. Yeah. yeah. Or Pugmire. Yeah, yeah. All of them had to go through. And technically Pugmire does, but I just, I'm, Right there, but, so it's but like, yeah. you're you're the licensor and you're in right, the yeah, thing, yeah. So. It's, it's it's a very short conversation with myself, but <laughs> it, it, it does happen. Eddie, can you go ask Eddie if we can do a Pugmire Kickstarter? Oh, I gotta hate talking to that guy. He's I, the know, worst, I know, the worst. <laughs> Side note: I just noticed today that uh, Dermot for the sausage is literally the worst. It so, is. It is the worst. It makes me happy for no good reason. Um, <laughs> but then separately, also. Um, um, at the end of the day, Rich also has to be uh, someone who wants to be comfortable with putting it up there. Uh, so, I mean, at the end of the day, it's, it's Rich's call to make um, when something goes to Kickstarter or not. Um, but there are a few factors that I've seen over the years that, that certainly help uh, influence that. One is something that a lot of people, I think, have internalized, but I don't think a lot of people talk about explicitly, is that nostalgia sells really well on Kickstarter. If you're putting on a project that is either a reimagination or a new edition of an existing thing that people loved when they were younger, that's going to do well on Kickstarter. And that also kind of is the same thing for big licensed properties. Mm -hmm. So like people are nostalgic for Alien, the movie. So right. Alien, the RPG, is probably going to do pretty well. Now, I'm not saying that's the only reason, because Free League puts out amazing stuff. Like, right. I'm, I'm definitely not knocking Free League. Um, I, I I love pretty much all their books. But, like, would the Avatar Kickstarter have done as well if it were the exact same game, minus that setting? Exactly. Um, you know, go back to your earlier point, you know, the original Mystery Science Theater Kickstarter was huge because it was, oh, the original people who made the original show are now doing that again. And yeah. that was also really, really big. And like I used to watch that when I was a kid with my dad. So mm-hmm. like I it's 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 been around almost as long as I have. I think it's I think it started in like the late eighties. Like mid, mid to late eighties. Yeah. Um so like I I have nostalgia for that and I'm, you know, only thirty six. So <laughs> Right. Yeah. So um uh uh yeah, either licensed properties or nostalgic properties always do really well is it's, it's, it's a safe market when this is the when people ask why do movie theaters or movie companies always do reboots of franchises every five ten years it's because it's safe money yeah yeah it, it really is it's especially if it's something that's beloved yeah you know? there's a reason why we have three versions of spider-man in the cinematic universe is because and also three Spider-Man. ghostbusters now yeah three different ghostbusters teams spider-man movies and ghostbuster movies make money even uh-huh. if they're not necessarily loved or good 
they make money. Um, so that's one factor is like if it, you know, uh, so things like the uh, Scion and the, the, the first three Trinity Continuum games, those were pretty much always going to go to Kickstarter because they're second editions of games that White Wolf fans loved back in the day. Yeah, or Exalted Third, which is still, I think, our biggest Kickstarter right. to date. For the core. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and Exalted Kickstarters don't do really well, too. But not every book makes sense for Kickstarter, which is right. the next point. Um, core books generally do better than supplements. There are edge cases uh, because what constitutes a core book versus supplements on a design level can be pretty clear, but in an application at the table and how people perceive it level can be muddy. Um, so let me give a couple of examples. Scion Dragon and Scion Masks and Mythos, we did those together. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was actually from a design standpoint, one core book and one supplement, even though Masks and Mythos is not a supplement to Dragon necessarily. They're both, Scion Dragon is a core book. It requires origin, but otherwise it is designed as a core book. Right. Masks and Mythos is meant to slot into existing Scion hero games. And give it a, it's a different take on it. It's a different structure, but it's not meant to be a core book in the same way. Right. But from an outside perspective, from a fan perspective, there's not a lot of difference between those two. They're both alternate takes on Scion. Yeah. They like both seem like supplements to a lot of folks. Right. Exactly. Um, uh, if you look at also um, something like Monarchies of Mao, it's core rule book. It is explicitly a core book. I had to spend a lot of time making sure people were fully aware that it was a core rule book, but it was treated both in sales and in discussion as a supplement to Bugmire. And it still is to this day. Yeah. Um, even though it so is definitely it's, its own thing. Right. And there are people who pick up just Monarchy's Amount and love Monarchy's Amount and will only play Monarchy's Amount. And that's great. I love those people. I think they're fantastic. Uh, but the general consensus is people perceive it as like, oh, it's a thing that adds on to Bugmire. Right. Um, now, if you look at something like, say, uh, Chicago by Night, that is very obviously a supplement. Right. But the way people perceived it, it was this is how to play this entire setting in V5. And so the discussion around it in the community was a lot closer to what we see in our core rulebook. Mm-hmm. Some of that comes from the fact that it's vampire. Uh, but a lot of it is it was the first big, really big media supplement, and it gave a lot of advice and suggestions and core material, including the introduction of the Sombra. Uh, so the buy-in both financially and emotionally from people was closer to a core rule book. So there's a lot of muddiness around that. But if you can get a product into one of those two slots, you start to see pretty consistently that uh, a supplement makes about 50% of what a core rule book makes and further supplements mm-hmm. further subdivide that. There is diminishing returns. Yeah, I can see that. And as as you said, too, the, the nostalgia thing factors in because um, we are running mm-hmm. the Trinity Anima Kickstarter right now. And Great. not even just in terms of, of money. Like, we don't look at the final numbers on Kickstarter as money so much as backers um, yep. because that's, that's what's interesting to us mm-hmm. um, is how many people came out for this one. Mm-hmm. And all the other Trinity Kickstarters or based on nostalgia properties have had like 1500 plus backers um, up up to about 2k, I think for the, for the first one. Mm -hmm. And then Anima at the time of recording is still hovering, I think under a thousand. Yeah. By 890. Yeah. And that's, that's odd to me on some level. Cause on some level I'm like, well, you backed adventure and Avern and all those, but on some level I get it. It's a new property and it might not be of interest to everybody. Right. And also, people are less willing to, t- to take a gamble on a brand new setting than they are on something that they know and love already. Mm-hmm. And to kind of give uh, a context for it, uh, I'm going to give a digression. But there's an interesting trend on uh, Goodreads, if people use Goodreads. Goodreads, is, for those who don't know, is a website where people um, track the books they read and then rate them. Yeah, rate and review them. And right. also, it's where I go to get almost all of our quotes for our books when I have to find quotes. Because if you go to Goodreads and you look at their quotes section and you put in like quotes about war, yeah, you'll get you know four hundred pages of results. It's, it's 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 honestly it's a social media site that just happens to focus entirely on reading, yeah, uh, which is interesting to me. But if you look at a series of books, generally you will see the ratings for a series will trend upwards on average, even though a lot of people anecdotally feel like 
long running novel series tend to decrease in quality over time. Yeah, like your wheel of times. Right, exactly. And the reason for that is the first book, you look at the number of readers, and usually it's like 100,000, 150,000, 200,000, whatever. Right. And then that number will drop drastically with each book. And you get to like the 10th, 11th book, you're looking at maybe 1,000 people. But those people who have committed to 10 books are probably going to be predisposed to loving it. Yeah, no, I can definitely say that. Like I have I have some series that I like got, you know, super invested in. Mm-hmm. And those are the ones that I have read every single book in the series. And also if there are any short stories or novellas to tie into the series, it's that and the other. Like I I am sitting here uh dreading purchasing the new Outlander novel. Mm-hmm. Not because, you know, I don't want to read it, because I do, but because it's been several years since the last one came out, and so I'm gonna have to remember what's going on in the story. Yep. <laughs> and then I'm going to have to read, you know, twelve hundred pages because they keep getting larger. Mm-hmm. Um, and see like see where it's going next. But I'm committed to the series, and I have been committed to the series since like I don't know the early 2000s. Right. So I might as well just keep reading them. Um, whereas there are other series that I have thrown my hands up in disgust and gone, eh, I'm done. I'm done with this. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, um, there there's certainly been a lot of series where either I've been like I, this book is crap, or I just haven't had an interest to go back to it. It's like, eh, I just don't want to chase that down anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't review it anymore. The people who still stay with it do because they're still invested and therefore still rate it higher. Um, so there's always going to be a core of people that follow that line, right? Um, right. And so, but that, that number that number is going to shrink. Just, just That's just the way things are. Um, so if you do a Kickstarter for the next book in a series, it, there's a certain point where it becomes implausible. Because we know we're going to keep losing backers because not everyone's going to jump onto the next Kickstarter for the thing. Right. So we have to kind of think about, is this a good jumping on point for Because really, ideally, every Kickstarter should be a jumping on point for anyone. And we've been pretty good about that. It, Trinity is, I think, probably the best example of this because each of those games are separate. And we get right. a percentage of people who are core Trinity fans and almost every Trinity Kickstarter, at least the past two or three Kickstarters, has been some form of how this ties to Aeon or Aberrant or Core and how does this thing line up with that thing? And that's fun. And we don't want to discourage people from that. That that is part of the fun of the Trinity Continuum. But also, each of us Kickstarters, we also say, hey, I was interested in a pulp game and this looked interesting, so I backed it. Or, hey, I'm interested in cyberpunk and this looked interesting, so I backed it. Um, and so they, to them, it's a brand new experience and we need to make sure that each of Kickstarters has that opportunity because if we keep just going back to the core fan base, that that's diminishing returns. So that's another piece of it. And then finally is, is there, there's just some financial math that goes into it. Um, we've done enough of these that Rich is pretty good at estimating about what, uh, Kickstarter will make. Um, and sometimes under sometimes over it's just the nature of things but you know generally he's pretty good at figuring out how much is and some things just aren't going to make their money back uh so it's okay we're just not going to go to kickstarter because we're it's just not going to work out this way um there was one that happened due to extreme extreme circumstances which was the legend war kickstarter uh, right we actually did do it once but then it, it launched right when COVID hit yeah so we took the proactive stance to shut it down because we saw where those numbers were going. And we're like, this is going to fail. We're just going to stop it before it fails. Right. But it was also a very strange time for everybody. Right. Where right. all of us were going like, are we going to have jobs? Do we need money? Like, do we, you know, buy all the toilet paper and hoard yep. up in our bathrooms? Like, what do we do for the next, you know, at the time, month or so? Right. And then we, several months later, we, we relaunched it and it did okay. It, it did, you know... It didn't do gangbusters, but it did, you know, I think it did about 50K, um, which is a, a successful new property. Uh, so, I mean, but again, that was a brand new thing. It's like, okay, here's the intro, intro into this this world. Um, it's a 5e source book. So that's a whole 5e audience that we were hoping to kind of tap into. Mm-hmm. Um, there's lots of strategic decisions that go into Kickstarter, and sometimes they're they're fuzzier. Right. Um, a lot of people have noticed that the stretch goals we do in Kickstarters are generally products that probably we might or may not have done, but they're less likely to do. Uh, right. If we didn't have stretch goals. Like in we, WE? Yeah. We probably would not have done a wrestling supplement for Apprents if it hadn't been a stretch goal for a Kickstarter. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, um, we probably would not have hired Justin to write 5,000 words of, of throwing bears fiction. to the moon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I am glad that exists. Don't get me wrong. But yeah, I mean, honestly, a lot of our fiction comes out of those too. And I know that our fiction doesn't have like a huge audience, mm-hmm. but it has a dedicated audience. And I'm a fan of it. Like I'm, I'm especially a fan of the exalted fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, mostly because that's a lot of what I've read. Uh, but I also like I'm looking forward to reading the Aeon novellas at some point uh, because I think it's a cool setting and I haven't really played much Aeon. But mm-hmm. It'll be cool to read about adventures you could have in Aeon. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. So, um, uh, but I mean, there, there's, there's kind of a middle ground of things that like this is a product we want to do. We want to stand behind it. But it doesn't make sense for Kickstarter. Uh, and again, there could be reasons for that. Uh, so for assassins, it's not quite a core. It's the same kind of money ground. It's not quite a core rulebook. It's actually a supplement to core. Yeah. Also, it's, it's about half the size, uh, work right. wise, yeah, of it, one it, of our usual Trinity books. Like it's seventy five thousand words as opposed to one hundred fifty thousand words, um, which makes it it'll be about one hundred twenty ish pages when it's done. Yeah, I think it came out at eighty three k after everything went down with it, sure. just because that's what I hired an editor for right um <laughs> but like still that's that's less than a hundred thousand words and most of our books are at minimum like all of our core books etc are at minimum 100 150k thereabouts mm-hmm. up to about 200k for your exalted and your chronicles cores etc right um and also assassins is like anima it's a new thing um but also it's very much a refinement of core so i mean it, it's modern day but a different take on it uh, so, I mean, it, it, you could have made an argument for beefing it up to 150K and turning the core rulebook. We uh-huh. we didn't feel like there was enough there to do that because it was so clearly using the core as a base, whereas Anima had a lot more going on, so it made sense to kind of push that into a core realm. Um, how people use it at their table doesn't matter. At the end of the day, some people are going to look at Assassins like that's their game, and then that's the only thing they play, and that's awesome. Yep. We love that. Um, but from a financial perspective, we just didn't think that was potentially going to have as much of an audience. Um, and uh, so, but we, we also have been looking for a way to try out the pre-order program with Drive Through RPG. Yeah, yeah, which we've done once before already. Was mm-hmm. it Rich Bastard's Guide to Magic that we did? I think so, yeah. I remember things that happened in the past year. I'm no, glad I someone does because I sure as hell don't. Yeah, no, I, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it's pre-order kind of is a lot like a very streamlined Kickstarter, right? It's like, I, I put an X amount of money to get the thing. There are no stretch goals. There are no add-ons. There's yeah. no errata process. It's just, I put the money down. I get the thing eventually. We I do, however, make manuscripts available if you pre-order. Right. Right. Um, not all at once, but we do the same thing that we do for our Kickstarter backers, which is give you the words mm-hmm. um, ahead of time. Right. Uh, which I think is a really cool thing uh, because like, yeah, technically you could play the game with just those words. Mm-hmm. I would like you to eventually actually, you know, have the PDF or the book, um, but you could, you could play it with the words. Like it, like look at the amount of people who are like running and playing Exalted Essence yeah. before it's, you know, even like been laid out. And that's, that's, that's cool. That's, that's cool when people do that. Um, sometimes the rules change before the PDF comes out, but yeah, like I, I, I like that we do that as a company. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I've always felt that, uh, you should know what you're actually putting your money into. Uh, I in early in Kickstarter, uh, I backed some early Kickstarters, and I was just like blind. I have no idea what's going on. Sure, I'll just put money into it, and then I was very unhappy with the product. It wasn't yeah. at all what I thought I was getting into. But I could go back and read through, and be like, okay, no, I see how this checks those boxes, but it was not checked in the way that you know, using the wrong pen it was the wrong color, different kind of check, whatever. It didn't come right. out the way I thought it was going to. Um, and so it's like, I'm not going to ask my money back because I got what they said they were going to deliver, but it's not what I thought it would be. Uh, so I know with Pugmire, because it was a brand new game, I was like, I want to make sure people have a playable version of this game right out of the gate. So that way they had a sense of what this game was going to be. Um, and there have been people who have canceled their pledges. Uh, I've been like, okay, you know what? I'm just not feeling this. And we, that, 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 that's good. We, we, we encourage that because we want people to stick around because it could sometimes take two years till the, you get that book in your hands and so if you're not if you're kind of on the fence now get out while you can mm-hmm. yeah like i don't like if it's one back to thing and then it's like i don't like thing i'm like okay please keep your money like right. i don't i don't mind if you don't like thing mm-hmm. 
So, I mean, it, it's not like there's a, a, a checklist or a spreadsheet of does the project fall on these qualifiers? Then yes, we will kickstart it. There, there's a lot of, of reassessing each time. Um, there are projects that we will kickstart now that we wouldn't have kickstarted previously and vice versa. Um, there are things that we thought maybe we'll kickstart this and it gets closer. It's like, actually, that doesn't make sense anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're constantly reassessing. And sometimes we put things out there because, okay, we know this is going to make have a lot of hackers and have a good amount of money. This Kickstarter is more of an experiment. Let's see how it goes. Um, right. I forget which actor said it, but uh, a quote I love is that you do the art film, they do the money film. They do the art film, they do the money film. And I think in some ways our Kickstarters are very similar. It's like we have the money Kickstarters and we have the art Kickstarters. You know, um, we know mage books are going to do really well. So we try to have those whenever we can, when it makes sense. But also sometimes, you know, we, we do have something like, let's do a weird cyberpunk MMO thing. Let's do a Kickstarter of a game about B movies and see how that does. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Cause we, we, we don't always know how it's going to go. Um, mm-hmm. And what, like so, something else that I, I want to talk about a little bit too is POD quality. Um, I see a lot of people talk like the reason they don't want POD is because they want you know, traditionally bound books. Blah, blah, blah. And like, okay, I understand that. My family was in the printing industry for most of my life. Mm-hmm. So I am, I am very familiar with various kinds of printing. Um, that said, if you haven't ordered a POD from drive-thru in a while, maybe check one out because... I have had worse luck in the past few years with traditionally printed books falling apart yeah. than with my POD. Yeah. Like I have um I have I have two copies of Pirates of Pugmire. because uh, I bought one at cost and then got one sent to me. Um because I don't know, why not? I might give it away as a gift, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I I do that sometimes with books because if I get a book at cost, it does it it, it doesn't cost me that much, clearly. And uh, there are two ways I can tell them apart. And one is that the POD is slightly thicker if I put them next to each other. Yep. Like ever so slightly, just because it doesn't go through a like really specific kind of pressing technique mm-hmm. that traditionally bound books do. Mm-hmm. Um, and two, there's no price on the back. That's it. Yep. <laughs> Those are the two ways I can tell it apart. If I open them, they're pretty much the same. There are a couple of additional ways that I know because I've been looking at these things for 10 years that yeah, I, I mean, can like, find. Yeah, I mean, like paper is slightly different, but it's the not paper, like bad honestly, quality. even that, uh, um, I, I will, like, it, it has a slickness to it that like sometimes I, I, I still screw up. But like there's a page in the back that, because each of the POD has a page in the back, which basically is the order number. Right. Um, so I can flip to the back and go, okay, there's that's there, boom. Um, and uh, the, the spines are very slightly rounded on pod as opposed to flat on the, the specific prints we tend to do for our, our, our um, professionally produced books right but these are all things you have to like really, really look, look at yeah. yeah like they don't if they're next to each other on my shelf like i can't tell the difference and if i'm using one like at the table i can't tell the difference i i grabbed one to lend to a friend recently mm-hmm. i don't know which one i gave her <laughs> I just grabbed a copy of Pirates of Pugmire and like put it on the stack of Pugmire books I was lending her because she was not familiar with Pugmire. Um, so back when Pugmire first came out, um, Matt did some POD copies and there's one that the cover just got damaged uh, as a result of the printing process. And so I just grabbed it and I, I had been using that for my demo copies. It's like, you know, it's, it's, it's a little screwed up, um, but it's, yeah. not, it's not visible. It's like there's just a scratch on it really. Um, so it's not that I can show people this what the book looks like. Um, and that book has been rock solid for like five years of heavy convention use. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I have, I have, I'm, I'm not going to name names here, but I have had a large core rule book, uh, not, not by any of our partners, uh, mm-hmm. just completely separate from the spine in the past few years. Yep. And mm-hmm. that was a traditionally printed book that I bought at an RPG bookstore, like in person. Yep. <laughs> and like it, it's, it's not part of the spine anymore. Right. Um, I still have it. I still use it sometimes, but I have to be careful when I'm messing with it because I mean, I, I guess I could reglue it. I, I guess I could be a decent person and just reglue the spine, but right. I haven't. Uh, but yeah. So like, I don't, I don't think quality is bad, especially if you get the premium hardcover. Mm-hmm. Uh, the standard hardcover is a little bit rougher, but it's still a fine book. Like I have lots of standard hardcovers from Drive Throw. Uh, and the the other thing is that I'll see people every now and then be like. 
oh, I got this from drive-thru and it was damaged or got the wrong thing or whatever. Like, let them know. Because I've never seen them not fix it, even if it's been like a minute. Uh Like, if you bought something a month ago or two months ago and it fell apart, let them know because it's probably just a defect. Mm -hmm. Like, it doesn't happen that often. And every time I've like, they will be never backwards trying to correct stuff. Um, Even stuff that isn't technically on them. Like recently we were releasing the hundred devils night parade stuff for exalted. Mm -hmm. And we like said several times, like, okay, you have to have like your drive through RPG account set up to receive emails from us. Yep. Like you have to be able to receive marketing emails from Onyx path or else we can't send you the discount for the compiled version. Mm-hmm. And this, the, this was for folks who had bought like a bunch of the monthly releases. And even then there were so many people who didn't turn it on went, Oh crap. How do I get my discount? Went to drive through and said, Hey, can you fix this for me? And they all like, yeah, totally. No problem. Yep. Um, so even though that wasn't technically their fault, <laughs> they are still happy to, you know, fix the problem. Their their customer service folks are amazing. Um, yeah. And their tech folks are amazing. And they are there to help as long as you're, you know, just be nice. Be nice to your drive through RPG stuff. And they will take such good care of you. Absolutely. And, I mean, I, I love print demand for a lot of reasons. And, and one of the things that I guess mildly frustrates me and people are like, oh my God, I can't believe it's print demand is that there are so many books that would not be available if it were not for print on demand. Yeah. Um, the fact is that print on demand means that these books are available in perpetuity. If you buy this book 10 years later, you still get the exact same book more or less that was produced then, and it'll be brand new. It won't be a used copy. Mm-hmm. Won't be a copy that's kicking around in a bookstore for for ten years. You can get a brand new copy of that book. Uh, so I mean, that's for from a game preservation standpoint, that is just massive. The fact that we're coming close to our ten year anniversary on this path, and the books we put out in two thousand twelve are still available in the exact same form, maybe even slightly better in some cases. Right. Than they were. <laughs> yeah, I should I should reorder a copy of uh, B twenty because I have a I have a POD copy from a while back mm-hmm. uh, that I think like. I've got the deluxe version too. I just don't use it, obviously, because it's, mm. it's pretty. Um, but like, I got a copy several years ago. And then one of my friends, I think, accidentally stole it when I moved from Connecticut. And then mm. I had lent it out and forgot to get it back. Right. Uh, so I, I, I should get a new copy because it's probably a better copy anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and like, um, sometimes, you know, th- we don't do this very often, but occasionally there's a book to like, you know, there's a big mistakes we can fix that and so new versions will have will be updated mm-hmm. um a, a good example of this although it's not our book anymore was um uh book of nod the original printing of book of nod had a lot of muddiness in uh, the original traditional print and so when it was digitized uh and remastered we were actually able to get a lot of stuff that's hard to read in original printing is now like, easier to read so the pod uh-huh. version of book of nod is actually easier to read than the original traditionally printed version of the book yeah, and from what I understand, that's mostly what they did for the re-release recently mm-hmm. over at Renegade. Okay, that's not uh, Yeah, because they had that like big Book of Nod deluxe box set thing you could get. Oh, okay. And it was just a re-release, but I, th- I think it was a cleaned up remastered version. Mm-hmm. So now there is the POD version, which has been out for you know several years, and also the new traditionally printed version that is also cleaned up because it's not the 90s anymore. And sometimes we fix things that right. you know, <laughs> didn't come out great the first time. Exactly. But I mean, uh, uh, to kind of go back to your original point is, is there are some books, if we do traditional printing, those books have to live somewhere. Right. There has to be, they have to be stored somewhere and we have to pay storage fees on them if they are not being sold to people. So I was literally like going to make that my next point. So you were so on the ball oh. with me. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Dick energy synergy hour. Woo-hoo, we share one mind. It's a scary, scary <laughs> And one place. brain cell. <laughs> and it's a, it's a monkey with symbols. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that was me this morning. <laughs> yes. But um, yeah, so it's like if we do print a thousand copies of that book and we sell 500 copies, those 500 other copies are going to sit around and we're paying money on them and a store, a warehouse has to take care of them and they have to be shipped somewhere. Yeah. Um, so while we would save money in the, in the short term on getting traditionally printed because we make more money per volume, we might lose that money again in things like storage fees and additional reshipping and whatnot. Yep. Uh, so from a financial perspective, it sometimes makes sense to go right to POD. 
Um, there are some books that we did traditional printing. They have actually sold out. And so we end up, okay, well, now the beauty is the only one available. Uh, Pugmire, yeah, it is. There, there are some books we do reprints of. Yeah, I was like, Pugmire is one of the few I think we had the reprint of. I think I think Trinity Core we did as well. Or Probably. Aeon, maybe. I, th- I, th- I actually think you went to reprint around the same time, so that sounds right. Yeah, there have, there have been a couple books that we've done second printing runs on and possibly third for Pugmire. Mm-hmm. I don't remember how many print runs that's had, but it's 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 a hit wherever we take it. So, you know. Right. But um, again, you know, for every Pugmire, you know, there's, you know, a, a, a Scarlands book that, you know, isn't necessarily moving as fast or whatever. Yeah. Or uh, the Deluxe Anodox Unbound that we carried around to conventions for like five years straight. Right. Going like, please buy this. Um, yeah. Because the, the Becca Shia Diary Deluxe. Yeah. Because, uh, yes, our warehouse, like, we do work with Studio 2 for our traditionally printed and shipped stuff for Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. But as far as the extra deluxes that we used to take to conventions and stuff, mm-hmm. uh, that was uh, one of our colleagues' garages was the warehouse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so he didn't get to have his garage because it was full of deluxe books that we right. carted around to, like, Gen Con and stuff every year. And then set up at the table and made really nice. And granted, we did sell a bunch of them when we were using that as a, like, sales venue. But then anything else we didn't sell had to be packed back in boxes and put back in his garage. Right. And that's, there's no financial cost there, but there is a huge time sink for that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, very much. That is time that could have been spent doing something else with the company. Uh, and also, you know, they have to fit into cars and that adds to gas. And, you know, so there's, there's, it's still, it's still a cost in different ways. Um, right. So it's not as simple as just, we don't want this book to look pretty. That, that is a extremely reductive We want stance. every book to look pretty. We, we want, want every book, book to, look, to pretty. look so pretty. <laughs> and print on demand is, like Dixie said, visibly very hard to tell from traditionally printing. There are benefits to traditional printing. There's reasons why we do Kickstarters for traditional prints. Uh-huh. And traditional print is the only way we can really get them to retail because otherwise the profit margins make no sense for POD. Right. So there, there, there are all sorts of reasons why we do traditional printing, and they're still good through traditional printing, but also there are lots of reasons why not every book needs to be traditionally printed. Yeah. The, the, the only ones that differ really majorly in the trad parameters of POD are the deluxes. Right. Um, that's the only thing, because we can't do a leatherette print-on-demand. <laughs> uh, and we can't do the shiny foil cover on some of the stuff and even then we don't get a lot of those into retail right that that's a, that's a whole different luxury market we're back to okay we're pretty much selling those directly more or less yeah back to some like i mean the only exception would be the like chronicle scores uh which i think do you have a decent retail market uh for the two e's sure um, but those are not as deluxe as like a leather cover exalted right right yeah exactly like i don't I mean, I have I have seen the Leatherette Exalted on store shelves, but it was where somebody like you know got it from a Kickstarter and then sold it probably, right? Um, or bought it from IPR and then put it on mm-hmm. their shelf. Like one of the game stores near me had one of the the deluxes on sale for a while for like you know three hundred dollars or whatever. Um, but that was also when they were harder to find. Right. Uh, and now I, I I don't really see them anywhere. But for a while there were like a few copies on IPR, a few here and there, um, but not a lot of them out in the wild. Mm-hmm. Uh. And yeah, like I don't see the like Lunar's, you know, deluxe version at stores. I feel like a lot of people would just get the standard cover at this point. Right. And that's another factor is that deluxe editions, in my experience, tend to be very uh, specific. Um, it's like Vampire the Masquerade Deluxe Edition makes sense. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Most of the 20th anniversary World Darkness books, Deluxe Edition made sense. Um, Exalted, third edition makes sense you know does trinity need a deluxe book you know i don't know if there's necessarily a, a market there now because it's such a new reimagining of the game right um i think if we did a new version of the trinity we do maybe that could be a, a nice deluxe edition version of that uh but i could see why we didn't necessarily go that route for the first time around because it still needs to prove itself at least somewhat yeah yeah exactly like i um I know there are folks out there, especially for the Exalted fans, that, like, they want all their Exalted books to look the same now. Because they bought, mm-hmm. you know, the first two Deluxes. And so mm-hmm. now they're like, every book has to be a Leatherette Deluxe. Um, and it's like, okay, that's great. Uh, we will make that happen as best we can. Even Essence, I think, got a got a Deluxe version. Um, which I wasn't sure if we were going to do that at first. Mm-hmm. You know? But then we did. We're like, well, it's, it's, it's an Exalted book. We might as well put, like, a cool leather cover right um and 
part of that's just consistency, which I completely understand. Like if I have a series of seven books and the seventh one looks different, I get irritated because mm. <laughs> I'm like, but the first six books look like this. Then book seven is a different print run or a different cover. And I, and I hate it. It makes me mad. And then I have to go like try to find the like old cover or whatever it is. Can I have a short, brief digression rant on this topic? Of course you can. Is it about under- like titles not lining up or something? No, it's specifically okay. about um, if people are frustrated by this experience, I completely understand that and it's valid frustration. Please stop saying you're OCD. Oh, yeah. No, that's 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 a problem. Like uh, obsessive compulsive disorder is a real thing that people yes. struggle with. It's a mental illness. Yes. Um, Much like if you, you know, have a short attention span, don't say like, ah, oh, I'm a little ADHD today because no, you're not. You don't right. you don't deal with what we deal with. Um, So, yeah. Like, don't don't use mental illness as shorthand for this thing bugs me. Right. But just say, this thing bugs me, and that's okay, and that's valid, and, and I understand your frustration. Sometimes we can't cater to that frustration, but that specific term has always bugged me because you're right. It is ableist. It is, is, is uh, reductive of yeah. the actual compulsive disorder. Um, anyway, that is my digression. That is my rant. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you actually have OCD... You're welcome to say that. <laughs> Absolutely, yes, yes. You, you can own your own mental illness. And that's perfect. But like, if you're just a little like particular about something, like I, I don't have OCD, but right. I do get irritated if my books don't line up right. Like, sure. I get, there have been a couple of TV shows that like all of a sudden on season like 11 of the box DVD set have a different like spine. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, you're all supposed to look the same. <laughs> right. Um, I know, uh, uh, Amazon, not Amazon, uh, Netflix sometimes. Uh, mm-hmm. Generally, for a lot of shows, they have the same team doing subtitles uh, for Netflix shows. And so there's a consistency there. But sometimes for really big shows, they have lots of different teams working on individual episodes. And it's really clear that they have oh, different yeah. subtitling standards. And that bugs me. It really frustrates me. But it, it, it's, I'm not going to boycott the show because the subtitles don't work out. It's like, okay, well, it's, it's frustrating. I, I wish it were right. different, but I still love the show, so I want to support it. Um, so, I mean, there are lots of reasons why that happens. Um, but at the end of the day, if it's, if that is what's stopping you from buying a book, cool. I mean, that, that's your choice. Uh-huh. Um, but there are lots of other reasons why just consider you know get buy it digitally then so you don't have to worry about looking at the book on your shelf that way buy the pdf so you mm-hmm. still play the game or whatever yeah yeah i know like a, a lot of folks have gone all digital um i know that I my my neighbors who play D on the regular all use like tablets and stuff at the table to track their things mm-hmm. um i i like filling out a character sheet there's just something about writing it down that makes me happy mm-hmm but uh, it is definitely, you know, not what everybody's doing now, especially people who are even more digitally native than I am. Yep. Um, I just, I, I get distracted if I have an electronic in front of me at the table, uh, which is partially because I have ADHD. Like, sure. I also try not to look at my phone during games because I'll end up on Twitter and then I'll be like, I don't even know what's happening. Right. And, and I get that this goes into the age argument of like ebooks versus physical books. Um, and I have always argued that neither of them is inherently better than the other. Um, there are each one of them has benefits and those benefits are going to be more or less uh, encouraging for certain individuals. Like, like you say, you know, physical books and physical characters help you because it reduces distractions because that's something you struggle with. And right. it makes perfect sense. Cause for I can, me, I can fiddle with my dice or doodle on my character sheet and I'm still paying attention to the game. Right. As opposed to, like I said, I'm on my tablet and I'm like, I can play a game right now. It's not my turn. I have mild anxiety about feeling like I am holding people up if I take too long to find something. So digital helps me better because I can do e- I can search that and then it's much faster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Everyone has different things. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. But yeah, so that's, that, that, that's part of it. Now, the final issue that we come to is uh, how many months there are in a year. <laughs> and the linear flow of time uh time that's, is a flat circle i'm told well that's something else that folks sometimes maybe don't understand is that and like i'm, I'm sure most of y'all listening do but i i see people be like why is it this one and not this one or this one but not this one why is this one so late etc cetera, etc cetera. and it's like we can't run multiple kickstarters at a time yep um, even though I know that sometimes the audiences don't overlap as much, like, yes, there are people who just like Onyx Pathbooks and that's mm-hmm. great. Um, but there are people who just like Exalted 
And so every time that we don't do an exalted Kickstarter, they're like, damn it, where's my book? Right. And I understand that. Um, and there are people who, you know, only like Chronicles. So they don't care about the Trinity Kickstarters. And so they are like, where's my book? And it's like, okay, well, let's let's talk about this. Because um, we can only run one at once. Um, Kickstarter also occasionally implements different rules for publishers versus game companies. And like, we're mm -hmm. kind of both, uh, which is weird. It's like, are we a yeah. publisher or are we a game company? Mm -hmm. So technically we're both. Um, and then, you know, we don't like to do them right after each other. Uh, because there is such a thing as Kickstarter fatigue. If we're sitting there every every time one ends, two days later, we're like, okay, here's the next one. Then it feels like we're just constantly like, give us money, give us money. Right. And so that's that's not what we're doing. We're trying to put out as many books as we can. Um, and Kickstarter helps us do that. But we also try to put out books between those, um, which is why a lot of the Exalted supplements right now, just to speak to something that I'm very familiar with, are not like some of them are from kickstarters like the lunar's companion um but some of them are just new books like crucible of legend mm -hmm. um i doubt that will get a kickstarter um it's it's possible i once again we don't know everything right now um it's more likely that exigence will get a kickstarter since it's a core book and we try to do the deluxes with those mm -hmm. uh but like as far as some of the other things like we did the realm for exalted and pod only and it's a beautiful book like, it's a really nice book. Uh, we're doing Across the Eight Directions, Crucible of Legend. We've got these supplements coming out. And, like, do we want to take up Kickstarter slots that could be for core books with supplements? Right. Which is something else that we have to really think about. Or, like, do we do a dual Kickstarter again for something like we did with Dragon and Masks? And um, on top yeah. of that, like, um, I didn't mean to get you off, but I just wanted to point out that. Yeah, you're um, fine. Go. Uh, if we do do that, like let's say, okay, let's say all those mentioned, we do all Kickstarters, that means that you have to wait until Kickstarters run and finish before it can really get things moving. Like, with, you know, we have to update their manuscript, we have to do the layout. So that project's on hold until the Kickstarter happens. So that's another mm -hmm. part of time is that, you know, uh, Assassins is a good case. It's like, you know, we could put Anima and Assassins out at the same time if we do Assassins as a pre-order and Anima's Kickstarter. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, we'd have to wait until not only the next Kickstarter, but the Kickstarter after. Because like I said, we don't do training Kickstarters back-to-back. -back, so it would have to be two Kickstarters at minimum before we could do an Assassin's Kickstarter yeah. and before they can even get moving again. So that's potentially four months of delay. And, like, if, you know, folks... So want that's to... another factor. Yeah. And then, like, I know people, like, might might be like, well, why didn't you do a dual Kickstarter for Animal Assassins? And mm -hmm. there, there, there are a few reasons that I would think for that, although I'm not sure we even, like, really talked about that too much. One, Anima's its own core. Mm-hmm. Two, they're not set at the same time period. Mm -hmm. They're they're not thematically similar, really. Mm -hmm. um, and also, we we really wanted to focus on anima, which is already kind of two RPGs in one. That and was so, my like, argument. Yeah, we like have this cyberpunk slash lit RPG that has two things you can play separately. You can play them together. You know, it's 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 the peanut butter and chocolate Reese's cup of uh, books. Um, right. Also, I hate we... Reese's cups. So I'm not sure why I use that analogy, but you know, two great there things that taste great together self-loathing um but i mean that's one thing we ran into with with the dragon and mass kickstarter is that there were a lot of people who were like i only came here for dragon but i since got really excited about masks or vice versa a lot of people who did what we hoped they would which is that they came for one product and actually found the second product also be compelling and we're mm -hmm. excited about it uh, but there are some people who were just like i'm only here for dragon i'm only here for the cthulhu stuff whatever and so every time a dragon thing came by it's like oh i don't care about this i want to get to the thing i don't care about um, and then with Anima specifically, we had the cyberpunk and MMO divide, and that's a key part of the game. So it would bounce between the cyberpunk side, the MMO side, and the assassin side. So there would be some people who want to get Anima, which is one book, but still only really want to play the cyberpunk side of things and don't really care about the MMO. Right. So they're already opting out of any MMO-related potential stretch goals or uh, conversations. And then if they have to send cycle through also assassin stuff, it's like, well, I only care about a third of this Kickstarter. I don't, maybe they'll wait till the book comes out and then they'll drop their pledge. Yeah. Um, so I know something I uh, uh, pitched, although I, I don't think it was a very long conversation. I think we all kind of were in agreement on it. it we talked about it at one point, but I, was like, I, I don't think we really were committed to it. Um, but I mean, that's why a lot of times I'll say like, you know, we'll say things like, you know, this might go to Kickstarter. We might not. If, if we do occasionally mention it in the podcast or in passing, Never take that until we say, this is what we're doing, because things do change. Yeah. And it's not because we don't like you. It's not because we hate money. 
because we're a business, we, we love money, but sometimes <laughs> the money doesn't make sense. Sometimes we have to go in a different direction because it makes more financial sense or because this book's going to sit for another year until we get out the door or because, you know, in one case, uh, there was, we were doing Pugmire Kickstarters like clockwork year for, you know, every year. And then until we hit um, Pirates and then there was a gap because I would just wasn't in a position to make a new book. I, I just could not do it. Um, so uh, I'm sure Rich will love to do another yearly Pugmire Kickstarter, but I wasn't in a place to deliver anything for him. So we waited until I got squeaks and deep together. Also, um, like Pirates is an interesting conundrum to talk about a little bit because mm -hmm. it, 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 it funded, but it funded last minute. Yeah. Like it was one of our slowest Kickstarters. Mm -hmm. And I think there were a lot of factors for that. Um, like with everything, there's not just one answer. There's a lot of nuance. Mm -hmm. Um, and Honestly, would that have been a better release as just POD? Like, we Maybe. might never know that. Maybe. Um, it, it, it might have been better for us if we had just said, like, here's a supplement. Please buy it. Um, because we've, we've, we've done that with, with other Pugmire books. Um, this one, I think that we, you know, popped into Kickstarter because it was introducing birds and lizards. And it seemed like it was going to be a big, like, thing with pirates and whatever. And it just didn't pop off like Monarchies and Pugmire did. Right. And that's okay. That happens sometimes. Um, but then when you go into squeaks in the deep, you have to go in going like, okay, well, our last one was iffy. Mm -hmm. So let's, let's hope this one does better. Um, and that, that kind of argument might, might also happen with some things is that we do have to look at the numbers. Yeah. Like I, I, um, when I first imagined the realms of Pugmire, I thought squeaks in the deep it didn't have a title, but, um, I thought that was going to be another core rule book. I was going to have, yeah. Uh, a rodent book, a cat book, and a dog book. Um, but just the numbers Rich and I talked over, it's like, it doesn't make sense. Does it make sense to do the supplement? And I felt like the, I learned a lot from pirates and what people gravitated to. So I was able to use some of that structure and format to make a stronger book. Mm -hmm. And at least from a pure metric standpoint, Squeaks did better than pirates on, on a Kickstarter level. Right. Um, so, I mean, we learned something and we changed things and we moved on. But I mean, again, this goes back to uh, decisions we also sometimes we make a decision because we want to see what happens and we learn from that and we can make better decisions down the road but sometimes we if we don't know the answer we just got to make a call and 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 build from there and sometimes we make yeah. the wrong decisions sometimes you do something it's like that didn't work out we should never do that again yeah and we're, we're always going to keep experimenting um whether it's doing the indiegogos trying other crowdfunding platforms you know, seeing what we can do with virtual tabletops, see what we can do with, with printing and what we can add to it and take away from, you know, just whatever we can do. Mm -hmm. um, because that's that's how a creative industry works. If you don't take some risks and play around, then there's kind of no point. Yep. Um, Particularly in this current environment, which we talked about last episode. Yeah, yeah, exactly. With with everything being kind of as, as weird as it is right now. Uh, everyone needs to experiment a little bit. And that's, that's great. I enjoy doing that. But... Um, Actually, as an addendum to last week's episode, uh, just oh. yesterday, um, oh no, uh, I found out two of the major printers in North America um, uh, have said that they're not taking any more orders for eight months. Wow, Jesus yeah. Christ! Yeah, that's a lot of time. So, buckle up; it's going to get even weirder. But again, so it's like that's a whole other factor on traditional printing that's that's relevant to now. Is there some stuff that maybe we want as traditional printing? Now it's like we don't have that time. We've yeah. got to go POD because we got to get this out the door. Yeah. Also, just like for for fans and things, if that isn't available, like maybe it is time to get more used to using electronic materials. Right. <laughs> you know, maybe it is time to just invest in like an iPad Air or something that I can right. carry around easier because my Kindle Fire doesn't have all the apps I want on it. Right. I, I still I still maintain like I did last time that this thing will get through. Um. So it's it, I think this is largely going to be a temporary situation, but. Under, but I bring this up because it goes back to decisions. It's like there's a lot going on either behind the scenes or alongside a product that aren't necessarily related to just the product itself. We're not talking about the product in isolation, but there is other stuff going on in the company. There may be conversations that we can never talk about going on yeah. that shape our decisions. So if you're like, well, you guys hate this game because you're going to put a supplement for it, it might be because the book never sold. It might be because you know we don't have license for it anymore. It might be because the writers are all burned out. It could be because, you know, the art, the key artists that we had dropped out of the industry. It could be because yeah. the page counts don't make sense. I mean, there's all sorts of reasons that don't necessarily involve, we don't want to make these books anymore. 
Yeah, yeah. Also, like, I mean, granted, there there's some things that have like a provable large audience, mm-hmm. and there's some things that it's just like there are a few people who really like this thing, mm-hmm. but they're not enough people to sustain a Kickstarter. Yep. You know, and that's that's fine. Like, please, we will put the book on you know drive through. You can buy it. You can enjoy it. You can love it. You can tell all your friends about it. I am down for that. Mm-hmm. But like, people aren't you know champing at the bit for more and more and more of this. Um, or at least not enough people to warrant it. And like, we have to look at all of these things we just talked about when we're deciding whether or not to go to Kickstarter, POD, PDF, whatever. Um, and they're all, you know, factors and they're all important factors. Right. And, and to be perfectly honest, a lot of those factors go into the operations side of the house. Um, me, Matthew, and Nixie will, will have contributed to the conversation, but generally speaking, there's a lot more that goes on the operation side that we're not 100% aware of. Um, we've been talking about bringing Rich back on, so maybe it's something we can talk to Rich about a little bit more. Um, but, I mean, there, there's a lot of stuff that we haven't even touched on that we also go into. Some of which we can't touch on, some of which we just we're ignorant of. Um, but, yeah, yeah, I, I, am, I am sure Rich is listening to this going like, also there's these factors, and right. we, we just don't know them. But the reality uh, is, is, is that... The, these decisions are always made very carefully and there's a lot of information and a lot of thought goes into them. The, the, the very rarely be like, nah, fuck it, we're doing this. There's usually a, a thought process that goes into them, particularly with which books we kickstart, which books we put into print demand. And we, we are always trying to do better. Yeah, exactly. We are, we, we are always trying to do better. And I think that's the most important thing. Um, and also like to try, try to figure out what didn't work. And mm-hmm. what might work in the future and what might not. And that's that's all important stuff. Um, and yeah, so yeah, as, as as we get, you know, to the end of the anime Kickstarter here, um, this is actually, is this coming out afterwards? Yes. Okay. So as we have ended the anime Kickstarter, I guess, <laughs> at this point. Sorry. What is time? Again, time. Time, time is nothing right now. <laughs> uh, like, that's something that we have to look at and go like, okay, so if there's, you know, the, the next Trinity core book. The next one that we do that's that's a new setting what do we do with it mm-hmm. and then if that one does better great if it does worse then we have to reassess for the next one and it's just, just like constantly trying to keep up with the times and trying to make sure that we're making the best decisions for the company mm-hmm. um and also for the fans like because we want you to get the books as soon as possible right <laughs> and sometimes that is you know okay we're gonna just put it on pod and sometimes it is like, sorry, you have to wait, but at least here's the manuscript while you're waiting. <laughs> right. Yeah. But but we feel like the, the wait will make, will make for a better book and also we'll get more fans as well. So that's the, that's the arithmetic. And we do have quarterly meetings where we talk about exactly this kind of strategic stuff too. So yeah, yeah. We are constantly talking about all this stuff. It's, it's, it's important. It's how we run our business. Mm-hmm. Uh, and by our, I mean not mine i'm a multi-freelancer but still we're part of it we're part of it i mean yeah <laughs> either way uh that was a lot of a lot of talk but i think it hopefully clarified some things for folks um as to why why things are the way they are um Indeed. i do i do definitely recommend picking up a pod if you haven't touched one in like you know five years uh because i i think they are very different in quality um, yeah. I know that Lightning Source and Drive Through are always trying to improve what they do as well, and so um, yeah, it is. It has gotten gotten better in quality, and it wasn't bad to start with. It was just a little more obvious, I think, back in the day. Right. You know, I, I remember seeing them in two thousand eight when they were genuinely bad. So it's like now. Oh really? <laughs> yeah. Um, and and to kind of put the button on that is also there are a lot of books from quote unquote major printers and publishers like Simon Schuster and whatnot that are also POD because they need to do POD to fill in gaps because the order's too small. Uh-huh. And most people didn't realize they're buying a POD book. So realize that even major publishers do POD sometimes to sell. Like when uh, Obama um, uh, lost, I mean, when he finally retired as president, his, his biography came out. And uh-huh. there was so much order that like easily 10,000 copies of it were POD because just to get it in demand in time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that is that is very common. Um you, you, you probably don't notice it as much with, like, paperbacks, for instance. Right. Uh, because those are kind of low quality anyway. Mm-hmm. Like, a typical, pa- like, mass market paperback is is what it is. We all know what mm-hmm. those feel like. And then you have your trade paperbacks that are a little bit bigger, a little bit glossier, a little bit heavier. Um, and then, of course, and, like, those are really hard to tell apart uh, versus, like, a big hardback game book, which is a little easier to tell apart, but still kind of hard, honestly. Yeah. So, yeah. 
Well, Eddie, people wanted to find you and talk about the state of uh, paper shortages or any of your other alarmist things you've been talking about <laughs> recently, <laughs> or just talk to you about a Kickstarter that they would like to see or have seen. Uh, where would they find you? Um, you can find me at uh, my website, pugsteady.com. That's P-U-G-S-T-E-A-D-Y. Um, you also find me on Twitter at Pugsteady. And actually, if you do want to know more about kind of uh, design stuff and industry musings, um, I do have an irregular web series on extra credits. Um, if you go to YouTube and search for extra credits, um, I do, uh, I've do. done about 12 different videos about the tabletop RPG industry. So there's some more information there you may find interesting. Yeah, yeah. Those are actually really good. I I, I don't you. watch all of extra credits, but I do tend to watch your episodes. Um, partially because, you know, we, we talk fairly often and I want to see what, what, what else you're talking about out there. Uh, and it's, it's always interesting. I enjoy it. Thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, you can find me everywhere as Dixie Cyanide on pretty much all social media. I do not write for extra credits, but if they ever wanted to have me on, I'd be happy to. Uh, hi y'all. Um, <laughs> uh, past that, you can find us at the Onyx Path pretty much everywhere. You can find us all over the Onyx Path Discord, hanging out in the uh, Pathcast channel, getting yelled at for making people spit out their drinks in Costco. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and as always, many worlds, one Pathcast. Bye.